This is episode 31 of the No Limits Podcast. Welcome back. The podcast is brought to you by Tangle Free Waterfowl. You work hard all year anticipating the small window of time you get to spend in the blind. How disappointing is it to get to that moment that you have waited for, for your gear to fail? Don't tolerate it. Tangle Free delivers gear that functions exactly as it's designed to function every time, year after year after year. You've heard me say on every single podcast, don't waste your hard-earned time and money on gear that only lasts a year or two. Head over to TangleFree.com for panel blinds, layout blinds, decoys, and accessories. And because you are a valuable No No Limits subscriber, you'll get free shipping on your entire order as you guys stock up and get ready for the year. Think about how much you can save on bulky, expensive-to-ship items like blinds and decoys. Go to TangleFree.com. Use promo code PASSION at checkout for free shipping. TangleFree.com. TangleFree.com. Is your coffee hunter-friendly? Mine is. I'm drinking a cup of it right now. Do you really know where your coffee comes from? Who are you really paying to get it here? And what are the political ideologies and agendas of the buyers and middlemen? What if I told you there is a coffee producer that buys directly from the farmer, cuts out the anti-Second Amendment, anti-hunting middlemen, supports the U.S. Sportsman's Alliance, and has a great-tasting, full-bodied, delicious coffee. Hunter's Blend Coffee is that company. Episode 16, we had Paul and Mike on the podcast explaining their revolutionary approach to their direct trade model and the impact it's made on the poor farming communities, primarily in Vietnam and South America. I would invite you to listen to that episode. It was an amazing discussion, just talking about all the different hands that coffee passes through to get from there to here. This new purchasing model has put money back into the farming communities, helped open churches, made healthcare available, and has absolutely changed lives, not to mention helped fight terrible anti-hunting and anti-Second Amendment legislation where we need it the most in the courtroom. Head over to huntersblendcoffee.com. Use promo code NOLIMITS, all one word, at checkout, and get 10% off of your order. Guys, you're going to drink coffee. You're going to buy coffee. Why not have it delivered to your door from a company that has your hunting and Second Amendment rights in mind and saves you 10% in the process? Go to huntersblendcoffee.com. Great coffee, great mission, huntersblendcoffee.com. The podcast is also brought to you by Revelation Outdoors Waterfowl Ministry. The Revelation Outdoors mission is to help spread the gospel of Christ through waterfowl hunting. We leverage several different mediums or delivery methods to do that, either through our social media pages and our Passionate Pursuit short film series that's produced by Revelation Outdoors and Motion Culture Media. Our favorite way to share the way we experience Jesus and waterfowling is through live presentations, either at men's events, wild game dinners, or other places where sportsmen and women gather. We have been invited to speak at events all over the country, and we absolutely love connecting with our fellow sportsmen and talking about how God has changed our lives, not through religion, but through a personal relationship with Christ. Bottom line is, we are not religious guys. And we stress that. We are guys just like the rest of you. But we have found that when we are able to break through and remove a lot of the religious fog that surrounds us, primarily men, we are able to show the simplicity found in God's plan of salvation. If you have an event coming up, if you need a speaker, or if you are interested in 
starting a Revelation Outdoors men's small group, we'd love to talk to you. You can connect with us on social media or on our website, revelationoutdoors.com, revelationoutdoors.com. Okay. My guests today are Grant Wisenbaker and Shane Olson. You know Grant from Salt Plains Outfitters. Grant joined us back in episode 26, and one of the things we talked about was their strategic use of and reliance on varied habitat management practices. So Grant is back, but this time we have Shane Olson of Habitat Solutions joining us to go much deeper into that habitat discussion. This was an episode where I learned a lot as well as I got confirmation on some things that I thought I knew, some things I thought I knew were right, were not right, some things that I thought were right, were right. Um, Shane has a very unique approach to developing either moist soil units, green tree reservoirs, and he shared a lot of that with us. We also talked a good deal about the dietary needs of ducks based on stress and weather and if you if you understand how that impacts what a duck likes to eat and when you'll you'll be in a much better position to kill so what ducks like to eat but when and why why they like to eat it you can start to notice patterns in the weather and be better able to predict what food sources the ducks will prefer based on those patterns. And if you had enough foresight to prepare those food sources, you'll be in a better position to be where the ducks want to be at that particular time. It was a fascinating conversation. Grant and Shane also talked about some of the services provided by Habitat Solutions, whether you have a large tract of land that you want to make more appealing, you want to create kind of a a large duck club kind of thing, or whether you have a small tract. Uh, that you want advice on what you can do with a minimal amount of money. What are some of the strategies you can deploy on your property or property that you lease that doesn't involve heavy equipment and tons of money? Um, If you are a landowner who maybe you don't hunt, but you want to make your property more valuable to lease to hunters, there are solutions available. This episode is packed full of information and data. And if you want to learn what you should be doing right now to put you and your hunting buddies in the best possible position to kill ducks as weather changes this year, you got to listen to my conversation with my guests this evening, Grant Wisenbaker and Shane Olson of Habitat Solutions. All right, all right. We are recording, and we are live. Grant and Shane, what's happening, brothers? It's a hot and balmy day in Oklahoma, I can tell you that. (laughs) 101 with a real feel of 114. A long way from duck season weather. Yeah. (laughs) No doubt. Well, Grant, you've been on the the podcast already, but if if you guys have, this is the first time you've listened to the podcast number one where have you been 
Uh, but Grant Wisenbaker, you are part owner of Salt Plains Outfitters. Um, I don't remember the number of your podcast, but it's on there. So people can go back and check that out. And we've made reference to the dude that's on with us now, Shane Olson, who is owner of Habitat Solutions. Shane, how are you, man? Everything's I'm good. good. Everything's good. as good as it could be. You bailed hay today? Mowed hay, step one. Oh, you have to mow it down. Oh, man. It's ready to bail tonight, yeah. as hot as it is, but we're going to bail it up tomorrow. I got you. So that's... I got you. And yeah. you're you're like in full swing making duck groceries and duck habitat right it's, now. Uh, you know, I, I uh, yeah, I was talking to a guy yesterday and I said, this is the most critical 60 days of managing ducks is July and August. Mm. You know, it's just your window. You have a 60 day window to get your crops in the ground. Mm-hmm. You got to pray for rain. Um, you know, and then you could, pray that you don't pray too hard because then it'll never well, stop raining. Well, you know, I was down at 737 last week helping Kyle with his cornfield, and we were having to irrigate it last weekend. Well, two weekends ago, we were irrigating it. Mm. Got six inches of rain, and then we had to turn the irrigation pump around and dewater the cornfield because it was drowned <laughs> in the corn out. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's <sighs> never ending. Yeah, I had... Um, I had David on from um, Southwoods Duck Club. He's in the Mississippi Delta. He's a cotton farmer, and uh, David Bowen. And he was saying, like, you know, one field on this side of the road, you it's it's too dry, like it's a dust bowl when you go on there in the tractor. You get off on the other side of the road, and you're leaving ruts. Oh, so, yeah. It's like it rained on one side of the road and not the other. I feel like I just burn the data up on my phone watching AccuWeather and Weatherbug yeah. and Mesonet and I mean, we've got corn planted out in western Oklahoma and it's it's like Russian roulette with a little one mile storm that's coming and mm. you miss it by a mile you know or you miss yeah. it by two miles and then yeah. yeah it's it's stressful you know it's it's that time of year you know you got to have you know it takes three or four months or you know even up to last duck season to figure out what you're going to do and then you have 60 days to basically get prepare for 60 days yeah you just you know and if the weather like this year we just come out of a 30 30 month or 30 day drought and it's crazy luckily we've gotten a couple inches of rain in the last week but we planted corn um july 15th and it didn't get a drop of water on it until last weekend and you know what's funny is i was talking to guys in kansas um, Travis Sipe with Duckwall Waterfall in Kansas, mm-hmm. and that's when everything was flooding up there. Right. It's like there's guys that can't get corn on the ground because they can't get their machinery back there. Well, you know, it's uh, – golly, it's, it's, there's such a waterfall effect between the waterfowl hunters and the actual farmers that are doing it for a living because yeah, we had a piece of property that we had just acquired. It had wheat on it, and that was a contingency of the sale was the wheat harvest. And – the guy didn't get his wheat out till the 4th of July and because it was too wet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we get our corn planted July 15th and it's too dry, <laughs> you know, so, but. So what you're saying is this conversation is timely. Like this is the window when stuff needs to happen, right? So. Yeah, you need to, you're, you're actually, you're on the back end of it right now. You better be, you better oh, be yeah. getting some stuff in the ground and within a week. Yeah, and that um, you, you know, know what that's the that's the same thing um, I was talking to Dustin Roddy about with Cash River Farms. It's like, right. 
you know, we've been trying to get up there and help him get some stuff filmed and, and prepare for our project that we've got coming up this year. He's like, man, I just, you know, the weather is, if you're here when it's good, great. If you try and plan it a week out, forget it. But yeah, um, I want to first give our listeners an idea about your background and how you developed. You, you obviously have a passion for developing waterfowl habitat and management and conservation. So how did you get it? Give me, give our listeners kind of a, the backstory of how Shane Olson got to be Shane Olson duck food manager. <laughs> well, you know, it, it seemed, it's just weird when I look back from where I am right now, I'm 33 years old. And I even look back to when I was 18, 19, going into college, you know, and it just seems like one thing led to another, led to another, led to another. And I, yeah, life I have, is like that. I have kids all the time that are in college and they say, well, I want to do what you do. What, what did you do to get where you're at? And I tell them, I said, man, you never burn a bridge mm-hmm. and you just pivot off of everything that comes at you. And one thing leads to another. So a little bit of backstory on that. It, I went to college here locally, right outside Tulsa, and I got a wildlife biology degree. And it was environmental conservation with a wildlife biology major. Mm-hmm. And um, I met a lot of great people doing it, a lot of good connections. And I graduated college, and I thought, for my dream job, if there was ever one, I would have to go down to Texas because one of my passions is cattle ranching mm-hmm. and my other passion is wildlife. And so where better of a place to do that than Texas? You know, most of those ranches are dual income ranches anyway. So I thought I'd go work for a cattle ranch and drag calves in the spring and we'll manage for deer and turkey and all that in the fall, you know, and it just didn't happen. I, I wasn't willing to pull up and move. Um, mm-hmm. I'd actually met my wife then. Let's see. I was a freshman in college when I met my wife, so that was one reason I didn't move. God, women uh, ruin everything, dude. I know. I know. Um, <laughs> I'm just and kidding. So, but not. <laughs> um, you know, so, so I went to work as I went to work for a big rancher here in town and I, I was in charge of a thousand mama cows and I was living the cowboy life doing that for a couple of years, working 80 hours a week and getting 400 bucks a week. And I just, I was ready to move on. I was tired of it. And, you know, my mm-hmm. wife and I just got married and that I knew that that wasn't going to be my career. And Luckily, I had made a connection in college with U.S. Fish and Wildlife, and there was a job opening at a hunting club not five miles from where I grew up uh, called Big Lake. Hmm. Uh, it's an 1,800-acre duck club. That's all they focus on is duck. We've got about 800 acres of green timber. Hmm. Um, so they were looking for a replacement. The old manager had quit. And so they had actually put out a position as hiring. And this connection in U.S. Fish and Wildlife that I made in college, uh, he, he called me and he said, hey, these guys are hiring. I've done a lot of work on their timber units. Would you be willing to go over there and work? And I said, absolutely. 
So he just threw my name in the hat. I didn't know any of these guys down here. And long story short, I made it through the hiring process. Um, there was a lot of guys applied for it. Some some master's students out of OSU and A&M and mm. way more qualified on the textbooks than I was. But I think they hired me because I was local and stuff like that. But that was just a blessing in its own. And, you know, I was always on the outside looking into this place and yeah. So I, I, I took the reins here in 2009, 2010, and uh, just started. It was more my testing grounds. These guys don't – they love to hunt, but they don't really know the management side of it. Right. And which, you know, they've got big companies they're running, and they they just rather have it done when they want it, you know, when it's hunting season. So mm-hmm. I called on a lot of help and learned a lot in the first couple of years and just – just really took a passion to it and you know when somebody says you you know if you do something you love you never work a day in your life i mean i am a walking testimony to that Mm. and a lot of clients that were coming through the club here i i don't know what they saw as the passion or just the you know the club itself is a pretty unique place but they started asking you know they'd say hey i've got 500 acres over here i'd love for you to come take a look at it Hmm. see if you can do something with it and so that started and i thought that was pretty cool and they said what do you want and i said "Eh, just give me some gas money you know and (laughs) so you know just over the next couple years i i saw that i could make pretty decent money at it you know these guys didn't want to mess with it they were willing to pay to have somebody come in and look at it Mm. and i mean it's such a relationship driven Oh, I mean, you know, because you know what those guys, those guys that run big companies and run and have land like that, you know who they know? Other guys who own big exactly, companies and have land. Exactly. I'm telling you, it's a waterfall. And you you go to one guy's farm and you just you make lemon, you make lemonade out of lemons. You know, some guys don't have the best piece of property, but you make it better than what it was. Mm-hmm. And they go tell five of their friends. And before long, my phone was blowing up. And I realized really quick that I could I could make some serious money doing it. And I'd, I'd say, honestly, 2017 was when I really decided to kind of push it and just put myself out there and see who would bite. And it's the, the response is overwhelming. And I it's it's unbelievable to be able to do this and uh, get paid for it, you know. Right. So. Yeah, and so there's there's um there's a lesson in that for all all you young whippersnappers that are <laughs> that are listening to the podcast. Um, relationships make the world go round. One hundred percent. I'm just telling you right now. I'm in law enforcement consulting, and those guys have their BS detectors on twenty four seven. And if I didn't have relationships with other agencies, other departments from the federal level all the way down to the small itty bitty local level. Um, there, there's, there's no way that I would be successful doing what I'm doing. Just knocking on doors, not having a referral from somebody else. Oh and yeah. So if you're listening um, and you're in that position, like what's the most important thing that I'll learn in school, learn how to build rapport and trust with people and then learn how to maintain that throughout your life i'm telling you (laughs) yeah that is the most important thing because like you said it's a waterfall 
all these big guy, all these guys that own big companies and own duck ground and everything else. That's what it, guess who they know the same. It's, kind of and guy. it's a very so. small community when you get when you oh, get yeah. in it. Everybody knows everybody. So if you screw up, everybody mm. knows about it. And if you mm-hmm. do, you know, you do you do well on something, everybody knows about it. So, yeah, um, yeah it's I we've tr- I've tried to do some advertising and I've tried to push some some Mm-mm. stuff and it, it it's word of mouth. It's, and I yep. think that's it's, you know, some guy will call and the first thing he says is I got your number from so and so. And I'm like, OK, yeah, so. Very much so. And, and the other thing is, um, be willing to be faithful and trust on the, and trust God that He has put you on the right path, and learn to identify those opportunities when He gives them to you. Absolutely, that's the other thing. Absolutely. Um, now, how did you and Grant um, come to know each other, and what's the relationship with Salt Plains? Yeah, I'll, I mean, I'll start it off, and you know, Grant will, Grant, will, Grant can finish it, but it, it, he he Grant's called, a good cleanup man now. He's I'm good. You. I'm telling you, third shot's a charm. <laughs> he, uh, you know, he he called me one day, and and you know, when when something's meant to be, or it was really meaningful to you, I, I can tell you exactly the two places where I, me and Grant had the most in depth conversations about where we are today. He, the very first time he called me, I was sitting at one of my gates and, you know, I saw this long last name pop up on my phone. I was like, who is this guy? You know, Houston, <laughs> you Texas. You ought to try to type it in a podcast. Houston, <laughs> Texas. And so, you know, he, he, I answered and he started talking and he said, hey, I'm the co-owner of Salt Plains Outfitters, which I knew of him. And then, you know, he got to talking about being in Tulsa and going to college. And he was like, I'd love to have you come out and just look at some of our stuff. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. And he didn't know me from Adam. I didn't know him from Adam. Mm -hmm. And so we went out and we looked at some stuff. It was probably, it was right before Turkey season. I believe it was probably late February, early March. And, uh, we just hit it off. Uh, him and his dad and his business partner were out there and, and we looked at some ground and, we were sitting back at their bunkhouse and we were sitting in the living room. Do you remember that grant? Yeah, man. Yeah. Okay. We were sitting in the living room and, you know, kind of had another in-depth conversation and kind of what we're having here. He said, well, you know, how'd you get into this? I said, yeah, this is kind of how I got into it. What do you do? And, you know, he said, I'm in real estate. I was like, Hmm, real estate. And red, flag. you know, gr- you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, two peas in a pod. Mm-hmm. And which I've, you know, I've always had a passion for real estate and, it's kind of the, the the icing on the cake to what we're doing. And he was like, man, I'd love to get into the management, you know, the habitat development side and all that kind of stuff. And I said, well, I don't know anything about real estate. And he was like, well, I really don't know much about management. And so Perfect. we kind of, yeah, we kind of, you know, we, that was the initiator there. We talked a little bit and, you know, just from there, we just built a relationship to where we were talking a lot and, you know, we implemented some stuff on some of his ground and, and really just last year, we just said, Hey, let's, let's do this. Let's, let's just team up. And we just, we're going at it full bore, you know, and it's not looking back. It's 
Um, it's unbelievable what's happening. Now, Grant, does does is Shane pretty much responsible for all of your ground that you hunt now? Is that the relationship there? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, a portion of his of the of the Habitat Solutions business is management. Um, so we we brought him in and, and he manages all the ground um, and stuff. You know, and it's as simple as you know some some moist soil projects and stuff like that. But just you know having him come in look at the dirt hey you guys need to plant at this time that type of stuff um and then also too on on the development um side of things you know he's he's managing you know obviously all of the development projects and stuff like that and then more so i take care of the the real estate matters and site location and, and different stuff like that so it's it's a great combination yeah yeah and so you guys grant y'all are getting to a point where um pretty soon somebody can come to you and say hey i want a duck farm right i mean i, I don't i don't really know that much about it but you know we talk about these guys that own their own companies and have their own ground there's a bunch of them that maybe own their own companies and don't have their own ground so you guys are getting pretty close to a point where that's going to be a service and we'll talk about it a little bit later but that's going to be a service in addition to consulting turnkey farms right Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, and it's, That's so it's, good, man. it's, it's no different than, than anything else. You know, a guy that Chick-fil-A, he needs to find a site that's on a corner that has these credentials, the same exact thing kind of correlates over to the real estate side when finding a waterfowl property, you know, because it has to have a lot of different attributes um, to kind of fit the bid, you know, as far as can it hold water? Does you know, the elevations there, is the landowner willing to sell? Um, is it under know, a major flyway? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So all those different factors and, you know, a lot of our clients that we deal with are, you know, they do have full-time jobs and businesses. And a lot of times the areas that they want to purchase farms in are not in their backyard, you know, so they'll be able to come to us <clears throat> and we can go and locate properties and kind of do the due diligence beforehand. Um, rather than, you know, you see a lot of guys that purchase a farm get into it, get invested and go to do a project. And, you know, the dirt wasn't able to hold water um, mm -hmm. and their project fails or whatever. So really try to be a bridge. Um, and then also to rather than a normal real estate broker that, you know, does the transaction and moves on, mm -hmm. um, we can kind of provide those services after the fact and say, hey, the site is good. Now pass it over to Shane and he's going to build you something special. Man, that's a super interesting model. I'm telling you, that's that. I, I think you guys are just both of you in your own expertise, kind of in your own swim lanes, right? Um, just are really set up to complement each other. But Shane, when we talk about the importance of habitat management, I mean, one of the things we were talking about earlier before we started recording was just how miserable the habitat in South Louisiana. Mm -hmm. is on a whole. Now, you can go hunt down the mouth of the river and slay them. Um, you can go hunt in the southwestern part of the of the state on the rice fields and slay them. But there's all that stuff in between that used to just be like along the Atchafalaya, from the Atchafalaya east to the Mississippi River where I hunted. Um, it was just, it was gold for so long. And... Year after year after year, we lose so much land, we lose so much habitat that 
I mean, it's just, look, there's a reason we don't film in Louisiana anymore. There's a reason that we drug an 18-foot decoy trailer all the way up to Saskatchewan last year and filmed it. Because um, it just it doesn't happen down here like it used to. What To you, what does habitat management mean? Why is it so important? Um, who's responsible for it? I mean, just kind of talk about what those things mean to you. And because I guarantee there's some guys listening here that think habitat management is you go out there and you plant some, you plant some, you know, some millet and you leave the hose on and you'll have ducks. Um, if it were that easy, number one, I'd be doing it. Um, but talk about what goes into it. What does it mean? Why are you so passionate about it? And we'll go from there. Yeah. I mean, it, uh, I mean, that's a, I'm going to just hammer it as best I can. That's a, mm-hmm. it's just such a broad, you know, yeah. broad topic, but you know, being passionate about it, I guess the the best thing I can say out of it is you you never want to fail. When you're when you're so passionate about it, you don't take no for an answer. Um, you want positive results and yet when you get a negative result, you have to learn from it and figure out why it happened and try to make a change and like you were saying in louisiana i get a lot of phone calls and a lot of clients out of louisiana and arkansas and they're like hey we're not killing greenheads anymore we're not we're not killing the ducks like we used to mm-hmm. and ducks are a very ducks are water well waterfowl in general is a very finicky creature they're gonna they're gonna do what they have to do to survive they don't care where it is and when you look at Louisiana and Arkansas, I, I personally think of monotony, monotonous water. There's just water everywhere mm-hmm. and monotonous food. You know, there's not a lot of ag, mm-hmm. in, in my opinion. You know, when I, when I say ag, I mean corn, beans, milo. Oh, no, you're right. Corn, beans, milo. Mm-hmm. You know, when I when I think of water and food in Louisiana and Arkansas, I just envision rice fields. Okay. And I think that a lot of the a lot of birds are just so spread out. You know, with all the water the last couple of years, they're so spread out. And I think they're moving to easier food and 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 higher calorie food. Um it's just my honest opinion. I, I see it you know, up here. Um, and for the guy that, for the guy that's doing, you know, millet on a pond and, and praying for rain, I mean, that's fine. If that's all you have and that's what you do, just keep doing it. But I try to learn and try to figure out why am I putting millet on this pond? Why am I putting the water where I'm need to be putting it on this millet? Figure out the anatomy of a duck. Figure out what they eat and how they eat. And and that's one of the things that's so intriguing to me is I love playing around with new things. And I think mm-hmm. ducks are attracted to new stuff. Yes. When, when they find a cornfield that just had, you know, rain, it just rained on it, and there's a brand new six inches of water on it, those birds are going to be in that cornfield if there's food there. It's because it's new. And... I think you need to just keep looking and keep going outside the box on waterfowl. It's just the way it's changing these days. It's 
I don't know if the weather's got anything to do with it. I know that there's, you know, it's been so mild in the Corn Belt and the birds, the food's not getting covered like it used to. I mean, seems like when I was a kid, there used to be 24 inches of snow in the Corn Belt and all the ducks had moved south because they couldn't eat. Mm-hmm. And it just doesn't seem like that's happening anymore. And, and uh, right or I don't know if that's no, honestly no, you're, true you're, or not. I, I think you it's know? absolutely true. And I, I'll tell you why. Because I cut my teeth hunting timber in the Mississippi Delta, um, just above Jackson, Mississippi, a little west of Yazoo City, below Greenville. So that whole Delta area. And I could tell you when. The, when the snow and the freeze line started dipping down, covering Missouri and getting close to that Arkansas line, and then it started getting into Arkansas, that's when we started getting um, that's when we started getting an influx of mallards into the timber. And it's not because it got cold up north; it's because access to food was shut off. It was under a foot of ice and snow, so they had to move. Had to. And what you said about ducks like a variety dude i can tell you the area that i hunted there it was timber um but it wasn't it wasn't artificially flooded it was just you know basically dependent upon the river system backing up um and we had one little patch of timber that had barnyard grass and smart weed growing in it and brother when the water got on top of that they you you could have the the best looking cornfield that there is. Um, they're going to that barnyard grass and that smart weed. Yep. Period. <laughs> yep. And it, you know they're you know it's it's just hard to try to teach people how simple minded a duck is. Yeah. Uh, people overthink them so much. I, I I find myself overthinking them. And, and I just have to step back and I have to say, why is that duck in there? When I find a mallard feed or I, I find ducks doing something, I want to know why they're in there. What is it mm-hmm. they're eating? Is it the water depth? Is it the is it the food in the water? Is it the, the cover? What is it? And and I, tr- I try to replicate that. Um, oh, my God. You the, and I are cut you from know, the same cloth, dude. I can They're going to tell you. I mean <laughs> – I, I can have the, like you said, I can have the prettiest 60 acres of flooded corn, 18 inches deep. It made 200 bushel to the acre. I mean, you just, it's screaming mallards. But then there's a pond next door that's a half acre, barnyard grass, smart weed, you know, some pigweed, all that in it. And there's 10,000 mallards on it. And I'm like, that just does not make sense. Mm-hmm. But you have to take that information and you have to learn from it. And I've learned... I preach eat, sleep, and breathe moist soil units, natural mm. vegetation. Um, I just, it to me, it just produces year after year. It's almost fail-proof. Um, but you just see what the birds are eating, see what they're doing, and, you know, you have to put it in your toolbox for next year, and you have to say, okay, remember that cornfield or remember that pond? I'm going to try to replicate that water depth that vegetation for the next year and and it's it is not a get rich quick kind of thing you and and not having to do with money but you you can't like just overnight do it It, it's a 365 it's like okay i'm gonna do that next year 
I'm going to do mm-hmm. that two years from now. Um, and it, you know, once you start doing it long enough and you kind of start thinking like a duck is one of my terms that I tell my clients, you know, you just got to think <laughs> like a duck. They got a brain the size of a peanut, you know, and should be easy, should, huh? Yeah, should be pretty easy, but it's simplistic. They are very simple. If you can give them food, water, cover, and give them a break every now and again, they'll be there. You know, you, they'll they'll be in there. And if they're not, you have to go back and you have to look at one of the four and say, okay, is the food there? Yes. Is the water there? Yes. Is the cover there? Yes. But I'm in there four days a week. Okay. Well, that's my problem. You know, you have to give yeah. them the time off, you know. Yeah, you know what else I've noticed, too, is depending on the weather, their caloric intake, in other words, what they eat, oh, their, yeah. their caloric intake um, will change. So I use that word all the time, and guys look at me like cross-eyed. They're like, what is that? You know, and... and well, you I, look at how they feed on invertebrates. Oh, yeah. Versus corn or cereal-based, you know, be it... Be it milo or jap millet or corn or beans or whatever um but how so how does that absolutely how does that change the so, caloric intake you know the it's gonna i'm telling you i'm gonna i'm gonna say it 10 times you got to think like a duck and so you got to think about okay what does that corn provide what does that soybean provide what does that milo provide it provides calories and when does a bird need calories a bird needs calories when he when they're under stress. Okay, stress being migration, stress being weather. You know, below freezing temperatures. Um, but it having to consume those grains takes energy to digest. Okay, so it's it's a it's a give and a take. So they're going to go stuff their craw full of corn. Okay, well you you know as well as I do, you can put corn and water for two days and it's still pretty hard Mm -hmm. so i mean the amount of energy that it takes for that duck to digest that corn is pretty high versus snails or invertebrates or vegetation Mm -hmm. they can they can they can just gorge themselves on snails or, or vegetation and it just passes right through them it takes hardly any energy to do it and so when they're not under a lot of stress they don't want to exert any extra energy because they need all that fat reserve and they need all that, the, the body fat for the migration mm-hmm. to finish going. So they're just going to gorge themselves on soft mass food. And so when you look at a lot of mild temperatures, those birds are in the ponds. They're not eating twice a day. They're eating once a day. That's what it is. But when you get that really cold Arctic blast, they start hitting you know the calories. They start hitting your grain. And whenever I'm setting up a property for a client and even here on our club and stuff like that, I don't want to give them a kitty menu that has five things on it. I want to give them the Chinese buffet. You know, I want them to have easily digestible food. I want them to have high calorie food. I want them to have loafing areas. I want them to have sanctuaries and refuge. And I want them to have big water to raft up on. And that way, any time of the year, no matter what the weather is doing, because you know as well as I do, in a 72-day duck season, you're going to have 80s, 90s. You're going to have 
10 below, you're going to have, you're going to have everything. And you want to be able to keep those ducks on your property, whether it's in the moist soil on a mild day or in the corn on a cold front day or in the deep mm-hmm. water to raft up, you just got to give them, give them options. And cause if, if, if you don't give them options, they're going to go somewhere else to where they can have that option. Yeah. Yeah. We had a, we had a little place, um, that we were able to work really close to that one area that I was telling you about. It was a, it was a deer lease, but there was some sloughs that backed up and we had a lot of barnyard grass growing that after the seeds headed out, went in there and knocked that down and then went over it with some chufa and good Lord, man, you couldn't run them out of there between the chufa and the sprangle top that we had growing in that little moist soil unit that we just happened to do right one year. Mm-hmm. Um, man, and it was full of invertebrates, like you said, snails. The and look, anything that anything that grows in the water that is green is food for ducks. Oh yeah, you'd be amazed. You know, one of the things I tell people is when you get done when you get done cleaning your ducks, open those crawls up. Mm-hmm. Figure out what those birds are keying on. Look at the last 12 or 24 hours. What's the weather doing? What's the migration doing? Figure out, you know, figure out what they're eating on. And you can really put a lot of puzzle pieces together um, by just learning, hey, it's a 70-degree day, 70 degree day. They're full of snails. Yeah. And then maybe, you know, next week, two weeks from now, when you look at the forecast and you're like, man, it's going to be 70 tomorrow. Let's go hit the marsh. Let's mm-hmm. go hit the, let's hit the moist soil or the pond, you know, and, uh, yeah, it's look it's in amazing, the crawls, man. you know, look in the crawls. I'm telling you, you will, you will find some crazy stuff that a duck will, will scarf down. Yeah. And the, in the, the, the small pieces of marsh that are still productive below my house in New Orleans, um, we found a couple of patches of that wild millet mm-hmm. and and something i don't know if it's a if it's a sprangle top that makes a little black seed or if it's a i don't know what it is but their craws were just slammed full oh yeah and yeah. that's they that's know what, what we, they need you know we they know yeah. what they need when they need it and they're going to tell you it's funny cuz it's like me exercising or going to the gym so if i know i'm going to go to the gym tonight and i'm going to hit it hard right i am going to naturally eat more carbs during the the day for energy but then when i'm finished exercising i'm going to slam the protein for recovery something Mm -hmm. like that it's it's the same mindset so the guys are like oh we're hunting flooded corn all year long yeah how'd your season go it's terrible man it only got good towards the end of the year like 14 days yeah. yeah out of all the days we had 14 good days and i'll be like well look at the weather on those 14 days i guarantee there was a correlation mm. you know yeah they just you got a bunch of guys that are just you know that's the way they do it and you know it a lot it, it the same thing goes with scouting for birds they don't want to burn the shoe leather to, or the boot leather to find out where you get out of it what you put into it. And like you said, and I've said this on a couple of different podcasts, it's simple, but it's not easy. <laughs> no, it, it, you, know, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not easy, but you know, and some people don't have variety at their fingertips. Right. You know, all they have is the back 40, you know, but 
there's some simple techniques that you can do to the back 40 to make it better than what it was last year. Yeah. That's all well, you have to you do. You know what? You let's know? talk about that because I think there's a lot of people that think habitat management is something that, uh, you know, I don't have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of acres. Um, what can, what are some of the strategies, some of the things that guys can do that have access to smaller land tracks? You know, if they own some or you hold a lease, what are some of the things that they can do to make their properties more attractive um, for like throughout the year, regardless of, right? you know, it's warm now, it's going to be cold then. So that's a good transition to that. I wanted to ask you that. Okay. You know, one of the, I'd say the, the biggest obstacle in managing for waterfowl is water control. Um, and, and, and water control is not easy, but it's one of the, the first steps that I try to get a landowner to jump into. And that being some kind of water control structure on your pond or your reservoir to be able to manipulate the water level. And because when you, when you look at a pond in a rainy year, the water is going to stay full in that pond most of the year but you're not going to get your moist soil vegetation growing underwater. Mm-hmm. You need to start doing a slow drawdown and, you know, around June. And it, you know, if you're lucky enough, you can get some evaporation, which is going to be some, some drawdown, but you need to start getting that water off. And now, it's especially, and, and real quick, I don't, but it's especially important if you have a green timber track that you oh. get that water off. Water is, a, water is a death sentence to green yeah. timber. You, know, you it, leave the water on there when the spring, when it's trying to sprout again, and that tree will be dead next year. And I'm telling you, I was so stressed this year on our green timber because we we had 57 inches of rain in April, May, and June. Mainly May and June. Mm. And I start pulling the water off my timber units Valentine's Day, February mm-hmm. 14th every year. I let them imprint on it for a couple weeks, and then I start drawing it down. I had until the end of June, from the end of June till the end of duck season, going backwards, from the end of duck season till the end of June, I bet my green timber wasn't dry 21 days from all the rainfall. And I Mm. was stressing, just stressing and, and watching those trees and watching those trees and I don't know how they did it, but they pulled through. These these trees here have wet feet. They're in the river bottom. Mm-hmm. They know what water feels like, and we're we're set to have a bumper acorn crop this year. So I mm-hmm. they've responded really well. But yeah, water manipulation is key. So if somebody has somebody just has a five or six, seven acre, even a half acre, one acre body of water if there is any way they can start getting that water off early summer slowly to inhibit not inhibit to bring on the promote promote the vegetation growth that that's the key i mean that if you can drop your water six eight inches every couple weeks and get that green line your vegetation line moving in and in and in Mm. That's that's the biggest key I can tell people. And it, you won't need to throw millet out. If you give that dirt some sun and some heat, 
Mm-hmm. You've got the seed in the ground. You have all of the moist soil plants in the ground if that pond is an established body of water. If it's brand new, you might have to you might have to supplement it with Help some millet or yeah. some milo. But if that pond's been there for 10, 15, 20 years, those seeds, a lot of your moist soil plants take a scarification process, which means that a disturbance, a change. Those, those seeds are, most of those moist soil plants have a black seed or mm. a really, really hard seed that can stay in the ground for up to a hundred years. And all that, all that seed needs is the right amount of water, the right amount of sun and the right amount of heat, and it will germinate. And if it's too deep, Sometimes I tell clients to drop their water two or three feet and go in there with a little four or five foot disc and disc up around the pond and bring those seeds that are six, eight inches deep, bring them up to the top. Mm -hmm. And that's the scarification process. That's bringing those seeds out of a stratification layer, bringing them up to the top to where they can, they can get to that germination temperature. A lot of seeds have a germination temperature. They won't germinate under 65 degrees or under 80 degrees. Mm-hmm. So by bringing them up to the top, they're going to catch that ambient heat and they'll germinate. And that drop your water, disturb your soil, and just watch what happens. I guarantee you'll have some new stuff pop up in that pond. Oh, dude, I, you're, you're preaching gospel because that one little corner of timber that I love to hunt, um, is it's just it's loaded it, it's the first it's the first section to lose water in the spring just because it drains and it's one of the last parts to get water um, in the fall and the winter and all uh, dude I've got so much barnyard grass growing in there and I just watch oh, yeah. it and just watch it and watch it and watch it <laughs> Yep. And then when the water hits it, that's when we knock it down. And, um, or right before the water comes up, we'll knock it down, plant some chufa in there, and then let God do what God does. How's that chufa treat you? Is that pretty good stuff? <sighs> oh, my gosh, dude. You can, I'm telling you, it's you like, can't run them out of there. cocaine, isn't it? It is like crystal meth, dude. You know, co- <laughs> that, that chufa's, it's it's a little hard to get started. You know, mm. it, it's kind of takes a learning curve on the planning of it, but mm-hmm. I'm telling you, if, if you've ever watched a duck dig a six inch hole to get to something, yep, that's it. I mean, it will, <laughs> it's insane. And it loves wet ground. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's one of my top five. Oh, Chufa dude, is so perfect. Is duck candy. If you have the right soil and the right, right techniques to get it in the ground mm-hmm. now you talked about um this is it's it's really a year-round project habitat management and conservation and um talk about kind of as you like would flip through a calendar like well you can start after duck season because you and you kind of started that getting the water off your green tree reservoirs um, right but kind of go through the cycles and and i know it may be a little different for like a timber track than it would be um you know marginal crop acreage or something like that if you're trying to transform that into a nice little duck corner 
Um, but go kind of go through the cycles of what they are, when they occur, and and how does your mind kind of work through that? Well, I you're never done learning. That's all I can tell people is if the minute your ears shut off, you start dying. You mm. you have to you always have to be willing to try new things and. So, so during duck season, while we're, while we're hunting, I see what's working. I see what didn't work. And, and really from that point is when I kind of start game planning for next year. Mm. I'll say, Hey, the, uh, here's the thing. I planted about 120 acres of corn last year and it was, it was good. We just couldn't kill them in it. And I, there was 10, 15,000 mallards roosting in it every night. And we just couldn't kill them. They just got on an evening feed and roosting in it. And I told myself, middle of duck season last year, I said, I'm not planting another corn plant on this place. Mm. I just didn't like it. Mm-hmm. But what I do is I start game planning like, okay, I'm going to try. I'm going to do rice, chufa, millet, and milo. So I will set myself up. I don't know where yet, but I know that's what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And so I will get all my all my stuff together. I'll get my soil samples. I'll get my seed. I'll order my fertilizer at the co-op, and I just have it on standby. And the minute that some some place on the property dries up enough, or you know, if I'm planting 110 day corn, I know I don't want to plant my corn till about July. But I I couldn't tell you in April where and what I was going to plant. I have everything ready to plant, but you just have to be really malleable Mm -hmm. and be able to jump on something that gives you the opportunity to get in there and get planted. And and for our guys listening in Kansas, malleable, malleable means flexible. Flexible. Yep. For all of our Kansas listeners like Travis Sipe, that means flexible. <laughs> yeah. You know, so I have all the stuff in my barn and it's like some of my guys here at the club, they're like, what are you going to do this week? And I'll be like, eh, I'll tell you when I get there, you know, it, it, <laughs> it really, come to it. really, it, you, I, the kid that works for me, he's like, what are we going to do tomorrow? I'm like, I don't know. We'll figure it out. And he'll show up to work and he'll be like, what do you want to do? And I'll be like, well, I just drove around. I think we can get our rice in today and we'll just go pound out some rice and mm-hmm. then kind of just start from there. You, There's no set game plan in managing ducks. You just have to be rebel, ready to jump on the opportunity when it when it gives it to you. And there, I know a lot of guys that were planning on planting corn this year and the opportunity yeah. just did not give them the opportunity to That's plant right. corn. That's and right. so they they have to be willing to go to plan B quick or plan C really quick. Um, but I just start game planning in duck season and I kind of get an itinerary together of what I want to do. And I know that as the, as the dates start hitting, I know my deadlines and I just don't stress out that bad. I, I just take, take the opportunity and run with it. When I can get something in the ground, that's what it's going to be. Mm-hmm. And Man, Go ahead. It's, I'm sorry. No, no, you're good. It, it, you just have to be malleable or flexible. You just have to mm-hmm. be able to seize the opportunity when you have it, when you can get equipment yeah. in, when you have rainfall coming, um, 
there's been so many times it's been we'll wrap it up a day six o'clock in the evening and i'll look at the weather and there's rain at midnight a pop-up thunderstorm and i'll go get on the spreader with 10 bags of millet and i'll be spreading millet at nine o'clock at night knowing there's rain coming yeah um it's just try new things don't get stuck in your ways and just try new things see what works see what didn't work and just work off of that yeah what didn't work i think is as important or more important what didn't work and why is just as important if not more important than what did work i think what did work is the easy out guys that see what works and they just keep doing it keep doing it keep doing it and you have to take you have to be able to rebound off your failures Mm. And you have to figure out why you failed and how not to fail again. That's the biggest thing. You said something earlier, too, that I think a lot of guys that are working on their own kind of habitat management, you said imprint. And I want to make sure guys understand that and how important that is to let – well, I'll let you talk about what imprinting is, but um, how important it is to let those birds – sit there and imprint and get that in their brain that that's where they want to be next year well it's there's a super easy analogy that i do and i'll say what's your favorite place to eat and i'll tell you somebody will say well i like that steakhouse down there on main street i'm like okay well why do you like it and like well the food's good the atmosphere's good and it's just a cool place to hang out i'm like okay well the ducks are no different they're not going to go somewhere that they don't like to go again. You might see them in there for a day or two, but if they didn't like it, they're not going to come back. Mm. Um, so imprinting, those, those ducks live and die by movement, by migration. They're never in the same place for very long. If they are, you know, they, they're stale birds is what mm-hmm. people call them. Mm-hmm. But they're always moving. They're always moving down the road. And so those birds are going to take a, a snapshot or a memory, and they're going to say, hey, this is a cool place. Next year when we come back, let's hit this up again. And you just have to give them the opportunity to enjoy <laughs> the, the Marriott. Mm-hmm. You, have to give them the, the, you have to give them the opportunity to enjoy their stay unimpeded you know give them all the food they can eat and just they'll be back and so imprinting yeah you you've got to give those birds a rest give them what they want and and they'll be back so let them let them sit after the season like you said if you got a small piece of property with some ponds or you know that hold water let them sit when they leave draw your water down slow right if, when you can get in there with a disc, turn some of that stuff over, let your green creep to the middle. That's what I've always told guys. Let your green creep to the middle. Um, and you are well on your way to establishing some moist soil habitat that you didn't have to buy a single seed for that's been in the ground forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and all you did was help it out a little bit. Yep. That's awesome. Yep. Did, that's all it is. Um, Grant, you said something earlier about good land. Like we're trying to help these guys find good land. What makes good land? Because I think we touched on some of it, um, and we're going to get into habitat solutions, and this is kind of a good transition into that. But what makes good land from, you know, you don't want to 
sandy like loma soil you don't want something that's real that's heavy clay that you can't get water you know you want to make sure it's in the middle of kind of a fly what do you look for when you look for good land yeah i mean <clears throat> first off i think it's it varies area to area um you know some areas do better with with moisture type prospects some areas do better with flooded ag um and then also too what are your goals so first off when we sit down with our guys we say okay well where do you want to be um and then based upon the area ideally we want flat land that has a water source of some sort you know some areas they're they're capable to drill wells some areas you know we pump from rivers we pump from creeks um and then thirdly the soil has to hold water um you know now this is assuming we're going after a development prospect that we feel like we can get the most bang for our buck. Um, then secondly, we want to look at the area. You know, if a guy says, I want to be in Arkansas, well, what area of Arkansas do you want to be? And then let's look at a map and let's say, okay, well, these are some core areas that we feel like there's some opportunity to be had. Ducks are known for visiting here. And then we kind of try to position ourselves in the middle of those areas. Um, and then, <clears throat> Lastly, you know, you can look on a map and say that piece of property is the perfect duck property, but is that owner willing to sell? Um, you know, so then that's when we go in and start having negotiations with the landowners, see what their position is, um, and then try to go acquire the track. So, you know, I think it's multiple factors, um, multiple goals. You know, some guys, they like to buy, you know, we kind of call them micro duck farms, you know, anything that's smaller than 160 acres um you know try to position themselves maybe buy one two three scatter them out across a map where they're hunting different massive yeah. birds yeah um or then we have more of your club or big investor type guys that want to have a property similar to like big lake that has multifaceted. you know it has moist soil it has mm -hmm. flooded ag it has flooded timber um, those are a little bit more difficult type projects you know i say the barrier to entry to those, whether it's being, you know, monetary funds or, you know, finding a big piece of property that has all those attributes is tough to find. Um, so we've had a lot of success going after um, some of these smaller properties. Um, and if a guy wants multiple complexes, then, you know, we can find in multiple farms. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And that, that makes a lot of sense. That's what Dustin Roddy told me when I had him on. Um, was that and you know he kind of focuses on the cash river in arkansas um super super guy when i had him on the podcast but that's what he said you know we're we we are more into development rather than taking one large you know just huge compound and making it have everything um, he has his tracks spread out up and down the cash based on the water levels, the river levels that naturally flood those areas. Um, and it just, I, I think, like Shane said, the more flexible you are, and if you're not locked into one place, it just, it seems like it makes more sense to me. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, the one thing that we can't do is force ducks to be in a specific area. You yeah, it's too get, bad, huh? Yeah, I know, no <laughs> lie. You know, I mean, we get these guys that bang their head up against the wall, but they're trying to build a, a duck complex in an area that's not known for producing waterfowl. So I say the most important factor 
is getting positioned in a good area. And then from there, you know, we take the further steps. But location, location, location. It's just yeah. just like anything else. Um, yeah. But with that to be said, you know, you, you can still do things to your property if you're not in a fantastic area that's going to improve your chances, though, too. Wood ducks love rice. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> set, of, set occasions. Yeah. Oh, no, man, tell me about it. That's when you said location, locate. You know why you don't go to New York to get a good gumbo? Because there ain't one. You, you got to go down here where it is good. Um, so, in the few minutes we have left, talk about, and either Shane or Grant, you, you can answer. Um, the Like, if I call Habitat Solutions or if I, I hit you guys up, what are some of the services that you offer? Because we talked a lot about consultation. We talked a lot about land management and ecosystem evaluation. But if, if someone is looking or interested in, you know, I, I need to hit these guys up and just figure out, like, what all do they offer? Um, talk about that. And then what can people expect when they partner with you guys? Um when they have a property in mind already. So I've got this tract right off of, you know, whatever. And you can take and take it from looking at taco, ta taco maps, topo maps, taco maps are completely different. You get different kind of ducks when you look at taco maps. <laughs> um, but just talk about the services and then what can people expect if they have a tract already and they want to talk to you guys about finding out what the potential is. Yeah. So basically we, we can do all levels from start to finish and it starts with a consult. Guys will, a lot of guys send me pins. They'll say, mm -hmm. Hey, look, just look at this, see what I can do. And you can learn a lot from just studying aerial imagery. Um, but we can do a consult, and then if the guy, if if the client decides to move on with a project on a, or an idea that we have, we've got the contractors, and we we design it, and we'll have the contractors come in and do the dirt work, and get it how they want it or how we suggest it gets built. And one of the neatest things that I love doing the most is I love taking over the management of it. Mm -hmm. These guys will have you come in and build this and they'll say, well, I don't know. I don't know what I need to do now. And, and we'll help them out on an annual basis with a quarterly or a monthly management plan of what they need to be doing. And if they can't get it done, we have some contractors and some guys that can get it done if they're in our area. But it's just a full, full service, really anything in between from just a phone call. I take a lot of phone calls from guys that just don't know what seed to buy or when to plant mm. it um, to the finished marsh or the finished finished green timber unit or, or flooded cornfield. So, but, let, but let, let me ask you this. So if I had a hundred acre lease, let's just say, and um, I've got a section that you know, it either holds some water during the winter or I can put some water on it. You know, I don't necessarily, number one, it's not mine to begin with. I lease it from somebody, but I don't have the money to bring in a bunch of heavy equipment. Um, there's still solutions for those guys. Like, do you have access to a tractor and a disc? And can you get water off of it? 
like with a pump and a generator, can you get water off of it? Yes or no? Um, there's still solutions for those guys, right? I mean, you don't. This oh, yeah. doesn't have to be a tremendous investment. No, it, it's it's almost like a, I, I'm almost an attorney asking a client questions about why he got arrested. You know, some of them might seem irrelevant, but they all they all stand their ground. And it it starts with you know what what are your expectations? What were your experiences last year? How deep's the pond? How big's the pond? Mm -hmm. What kind of soil do you have? And, and we can, in a matter of a thirty-minute phone call, I can get I can get them pretty well lined out and build their confidence and up enough to to just try it and do something. And then some guys are like, "Well, I, I just come look at it or come do it." And Mm -hmm. And, and it's just, there is no two properties that are alike. You, you have to be able to diagnose a situation and, and see what you're dealing with and be able to put a game plan together for that specific property. Mm -hmm. But one of the neat things that we've gotten into, and it was almost by happenstance is that we've had some, some landowners call us and they're, they're wanting to build wetlands or impounded water on their property for a cash value hmm. to be able to cater to the to you know be able to lease it out so they they're taking some ground that wasn't worth a whole lot but by putting a little bit of work and a little bit of money into it they could cash flow five six seven thousand dollars a year just on leases and and help those guys out you know i've got guys on both ends there i've got landowners that i'm helping and i've got clients that are outfitters that i can hook the landowner up with and and get his property hmm. leased out and get him some money made now that's and really it, interesting it is it's it's a you you build relationships really quick when you can make a landowner five or six thousand dollars for something that he really didn't know he had and hmm. even on a resale value, we can we can help landowners raise their resale value of their property just by putting a flooded cornfield or a moist soil unit on it. He might be able to get a couple hundred bucks an acre more for it and and just be better off than what he was before he started and make his property more marketable. You know, he's mm -hmm. he's not marketing to just farmers anymore or cattle ranchers. He's marketing to a guy that likes to hunt and ha and likes to farm, you know. So so you're getting calls from guys that don't even hunt, yeah. But they want to make their property more attractive to those who do. Yeah, yeah. You, I, I had a phone call a couple weeks ago from a guy, and he goes, "I don't know if this is the right guy to be talking to, but I heard you can get ducks in my field." And I said, I said, why do you want ducks in your field? And he said, because my neighbor's getting $5,000 a year leasing out to these kids out of Tulsa. He said, I want to be able to lease mine out for $5,000. And I said, and the, the guy has 400 horsepower tractors and 30 foot discs and oh scraper gosh. blades and all that. And I said, here's what we need to do. And he didn't believe me. And so we're going to be going out there and, and doing a little 12, 12 inch deep sheet water in his cornfield that is going to hold some water and hopefully hold some mallards and and he'll be able to lease that thing out and pay his taxes this year you know or pay or buy his herbicide or buy his seed for his field or any additional hmm. income for, on that level for those guys is huge so hmm. it's it's so many 
different ways you can attack it from just looking at a plant and telling them what it is or moving dirt and, and manipulating their soil. So got to be ready when God puts those opportunities in front of you. Yeah, and you do. And it, it wasn't even, we didn't even think about doing anything like that. And I had a farmer call me and I said, well, I can do all that. I've never done it for a guy that wants to lease it out, but we'll give her a shot. So hopefully, mm. you know, and he's going to go sit at the coffee shop and he's going to tell five other farmers that he made another $5,000 off of ducks. Can you believe somebody wants to shoot ducks? <laughs> you know, so. It's all relationships. And I bet you, if you've got some guys in your area that are looking for jam up leases, you probably know where those are too. We got one or two. Yeah. <laughs> I would imagine. So, um, well, man, this hour kind of flew by as it always does. Is there anything that we didn't cover that you guys want to throw in there? Any final closing thoughts? You got anything, Grant? <clears throat> I mean, you know, I think we, we covered it. Um, but yeah, if, if, yeah, I think we, we covered all the topics now. It was pretty well, spot on. I want to see you guys this year, man. I want to I want to come up there and check it out and see what Salt Plains is all about and Shane see what you got going on and um really super interested and in, it just seems like Oklahoma is getting to be that well it's not so much of a secret anymore um but it's just one of those pla- where like where Arkansas used to be just that like that's where you go to kill mallards um there's there's other there's some other places there, and Oklahoma is definitely one of them that is starting to open some people's eyes. Yeah, it definitely is. We'll get you in one of those concealed comforts to show you what it's all about. Yes. Look, man, I'm going to tell you, <laughs> I love those, um, but I never feel better than when I'm in shin-deep water leaning up next to a big tree. I'm a tree hugger, too. Hey, that's why it's good to know Shane. <laughs> are you Shane so that's that's kind of your that's, uh, you, I'm I'm killing him in the sticks every day he's the, I, he's the is, Arkansas is, hey, Oklahoma as <laughs> mu- much as much food and water I put in the wide open I kill 99% of my ducks in the oaks oh, man, so uh, but I, I'm itching to go out and, and hunt with Grant and those guys and, and have 500 backpedal in front of us I don't get to see that mm. very often no, you don't, man. It's a, it's a give and take and a trade off, you know, with whatever you like to do. But we need to set that up to where we go see Grant at about the same time. Absolutely, I'll be out there a bunch. So we'll just make the that, Oklahoma loop. Yeah, just make the loop. Yep. And Grant, when we talked last time, though, you you guys were getting ready to break ground on the new lodge. Yes, we are. Yeah. So we. Uh, How's that going? It's coming along. Yeah, I mean learning very quickly construction is a slow process but uh <laughs> it's coming along it, yeah it's it's been fun so um good. yeah good well i was i was just so impressed with you guys uh, when we talked the first time and then this this conversation has just intrigued me even more that we got to make some time and get together this year so um hey guys i appreciate you joining me um shane i just appreciate the wealth of knowledge that you were able to spread in an hour and eight minutes and 37 seconds um so again thank you guys so much it was my pleasure i love it thank you joe
All right, guys. Good talking to you all. Thank you very much, Grant and Shane, for sharing your insight and data and services with us. Shane said it. You want to kill ducks, you got to think like ducks. Or you have to call guys like Shane that think like ducks. All their contact information is in the show notes, so please hit them up. I had a great time with you guys, and I am really looking forward to making that loop with y'all this year. We'd also like to thank Edge Duck Boats, Dahatsu Outboards, Retail Shotguns, Apex Ammunition, and Sitka Gear for supporting Passion and Pursuit and Revelation Outdoors Waterfall Ministry. Without the help of these companies, we could not do what we do. So I humbly ask you, our listening audience, to support the companies that support us. We appreciate it. You guys have been doing that, and we cannot thank you enough. Finally, don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave us a five-star rating wherever you listen to podcasts on the interwebs. It helps us continue to keep climbing up the rankings. And if you wouldn't mind, please share the show with a hunting buddy. We would really appreciate that too. So thank you all again so much. Keep listening. Keep sharing. We love you. That's all the time we have. Until next episode, bye-bye, y'all. Everybody, everybody,